Oh, I've got a little boy called Harry. How old? He's, uh, he's fine. Oh, same. They're a nightmare at that age, aren't they? Will not do as he told, ever. See? It's not hard to play nice sometimes, is it? Stop bullying me. Someone needs to keep you in check. I need to take this. Uh, Lydia, work out a discount for a bulk order. Trevor, you old dog. <laughs> oh, my goodness, thank you so much. Seriously, Gavin scares me a bit. Oh, scares everyone. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 184 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catcher podcast that feels partly responsible for everything on Twitter this week being Cory Carter's being surprised at London or Sally Singh the girls. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm just blown away this morning. Ugh, yeah, that noise you can hear, it's not... Well, we did have Chinese food last night, but that <laughs> doesn't explain the wind that we're currently experiencing no. outside the house. Yes. We're under a heavy wind advisory at the moment. So we're trying to get the... Which is typical in this house. <laughs> Which is a second fart joke in, what, 25 seconds? Which is why we're trying to get the podcast done and over with before the power goes out. Yeah. We all have to hide in the basement. Yeah. Some freaky windy weather. And, and freaky warm weather as well. Yeah. It's December and it's 60 degrees. And it's snowed already like four or five times. Yeah. <clears throat> Much earlier than normal. So, welcome to any new listeners who may have uh, joined us on Twitter this week. There were a lot of you. I don't know what that I'm hoping, like that. I'm hoping that maybe, you know, since you're, since you're following us now, <laughs> maybe you'll listen to the podcast as well. And, and thanks to uh, Rob Millard and lots and lots and lots of other people who retweeted our posts from <laughs> a long time ago. That we retweeted with new What are you content. talking about? Because <laughs> the, the girls and, and London, it was just, we added new content to them. Oh, we did? But, or you did. There we go. I say mm-hmm. we because it's our podcast. Mm-hmm. Fanny. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm not sure it works for that, but <clears throat> well, if, we, if we do have any, you're more than welcome to listen once and then never listen again. Or continue to listen because we are quite funny. So how have you been this week? Uh, you know, tried to get ready for Christmas. It's Christmas time, y'all. Almost got all the Christmas shopping done. It's two weeks today. That's crazy. Oh, well, that begs a question. What? When are we going to do the Christmas episode? Well, we have to wait for Corey to do their Christmas episode, yes? Well, normally we would record up to the Friday. Mm-hmm. So we'd be recording on what? Christmas Day before the Christmas episodes dropped. What did we do last year? We recorded on bo- on Christmas Eve and posted on Boxing on Christmas Day, I think. Well, then we'll just do that again. Well, that doesn't make any sense, though. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I think if we, if we're going by the weekly cycle then we would be recording a podcast on Christmas Day. I right. don't know if you want to do that. 
I mean, what else are we going to do Christmas Day? <laughs> we'll just, just, Go that, out for Chinese and watch movies? That's, yeah, that, that's, we are shipping the children. <laughs> that's my thought. We are shipping the children out to spend the holidays with the other relatives, but we are staying home because my health has been weird mm-hmm. and we just don't want to risk it in in this in these days exactly in, in these dark days so that gives us a little holiday a little staycation i believe the the kids are calling it <laughs> correct so which is kind of what we had last year as well yeah only this year it's by choice <laughs> so we might as well just record it on christmas day then might as well but then there's a christmas day episode why why are we <laughs> Why are we spending so much time on this when there's a windstorm outside? <laughs> we may have to h- go hide in the basement. <laughs> Just try to put that off. <laughs> Maybe recording, but you said there's a Boxing Day episode, though. There's also a Christmas Eve uh-huh. episode and a Christmas, uh, or a New Year's Eve and a New Year's oh, don't, Day don't, episode. Don't worry about New Year's until the week after. So do you want to wait until after the Boxing Day episode and then record? But then we're recording for tons of episodes. Yeah, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that either. All right. Yeah, that's picking up out there. Yeah, so let's let's <laughs> let's play one then. Please, <clears throat> shall we preamble? Shall we hurriedly preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that breezy Corey news. <laughs> Easy breezy, beautiful cover girl news. Maybe it's Maybelline, <laughs> and maybe she's born with it. It's a hereditary disease. <laughs> Maybe she was born with it. Maybe it's, uh, no, 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 it's not enough, enough, enough. Maybe she's just unvaccinated. <laughs> anyway, Chuckle. Coronation Street continues to clean up this award season. That's scoop- getting embarrassing, though. Scooping all four soap awards from the iTalk Telly Awards this week, mm-hmm. including Best Soap, Best Newcomer for Vinta Morgan. That was nice to see. Yes, Best Performance for Jude Reardon, and Best. Partnership for Ben Price and Jane Danson. So congratulations all around. Those now were the stop four, it. Obviously, the, that was the four that I'd voted for. Right. But um, yeah, really did nice. Did you vote? Yeah. Are you allowed to vote? Well, I did. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. If, I I didn't know if it was like Eurovision and and people outside of the designated countries can't vote for the iTech Talk Tele Awards. <laughs> no, iTalk Tele Awards isn't. Like Eurovision. Okay. I remember Stelly was so sad Just last camp, year. Apparently, but Stelly was so sad last year that she couldn't vote for Eurovision. She's like, "This is an injustice." Yeah. And I was like, "How do you think the rest of the world feels now?" Like, <laughs> hop aboard the injustice train. Yes. No, I I, I was pleased about Vincent Morgan. Yes. Because it was nice to see... Nice to see somebody other than Jude Reardon (laughs) be newcomer. Right. But then it was also nice to see Jude getting just best performance. Right. Not best performance by a child, not best newcomer performance, just best performance. And then it was nice to see the the work that Ben Price and Jane Danson have been put in for the last... Right. feels like a couple of years. Now please give them a vacation. Has been rewarded. So yeah, good Mm. stuff. Jane Danson had two partnerships to celebrate this week, as she and her husband, Robert Back of Hollyoaks, celebrated their 16th wedding anniversary this week as well. Mazel tov to them! I think Robert Beck was also on Coronation Street. He played a mechanic at one point, so everybody's played a mechanic on Coronation Street at least once or twice. Yes? I believe so. I believe that's how it works. Yes. 
And finally, that wasn't the only anniversary we're celebrating this week. Somebody else had somebody else had a really big birthday this week. What have I forgotten? <laughs> well, it was our, our, our niece Kaylin's birthday, but it was also Happy Birthday to the Cobbles, which launched on ITV on December 9th, 1960. So 61, happy, happy years. Many congratulations and returns on the day. Yeah. Etc. 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 And that's Corey News. On to our mailbag then. Tina got in touch on Twitter to say, it's not just that you continue to commit to the crushed Rana jokes, it's the quality that remains high. <laughs> but this week's entry was superb. Much like Johnny, I'm swept away, she says. Oh well, I'm tired. Thank you for always giving. And then John, friend of the podcast, wrote in to say, Susanna Hoffs. And, now, and, then, and then a heart emoji. And then a gif. I enjoyed that gif. And now, we'll podcast for coffee. Maybe a little too much. Thank you to Script to Scene. <gasps> buying your coffees this morning. The Twitter feed formerly known as the Ben Price fan page. I think it's been long enough now that we can stop saying that. Yeah, I know. But it's funny. <laughs> so long as it's you've like it It's like equating her with Prince. Yeah. Yes. You're drinking your coffee out of an enormous SpongeBob SquarePants mug. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That's my soup mug. <laughs> And actually, I did buy it for you because you and Steli do the SpongeBob Squarecast. Yes. So, so whenever we see SpongeBob stuff, we kind of. That's the downside of having a podcast about SpongeBob is that <laughs> you continually buy SpongeBob stuff. Well, Steli's to blame for this. Talking about it's enough. Foamy thing, this foamy SpongeBob what, what on the screen. What even is that made of? That can't be good for the environment. It's plastic. It's like melted plastic foamy. Oh, good! It's been stuff. melted. Excellent. Yes. I believe it's a lamp. I believe if I stick a light bulb up Sponge, SpongeBob's arse, that that he'll light up. Well, he's only human. <laughs> well, he isn't really. No. Anyway, thank you to Scriptocene for buying our coffees this morning. I'm drinking mine out of my best fucking husband ever mug. Because it's true. And you have your SpongeBob mug. Because yes. it's true. <laughs> if you want to buy us coffees for next week... Not you, Scriptocene, you're off the hook. Yes. Then go to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street, and we'll be forever grateful. Yes, we will. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about my nanky-poo days. This was about a musical, wasn't it? It was about, um... Well, that's kind of giving away in the title, yeah. Yes. It's from, uh... Is it Gilbert and Sullivan? It's from Gilbert and Sullivan. This is Sally, isn't it? Nope. I mean, that's right... This was Brian singing Gilbert and Sullivan in front of Ray Weinstein. Oh, that's right. He it was, was Brian. About his Mikado and his Nankipu yeah. days. I was in the Mikado once. Were you? Yeah. Just the once they didn't invite you back. Well, you know, it was shortly thereafter that, you know, people started to realise how very, very racist it was. <laughs> so people stopped doing it. That was Gavin. You needed to fix your earbuds. 
I can't remember what that was about. But they were headphones. Your headphones, your cans were falling off. Yeah. And then we went into long... My cans. Yeah. Let's let's not investigate The cans that. on my head, not the other ones. Right. We ended up talking about AirPods for about five minutes. We discovered in the podcast that we'd avoided each other's Christmas holiday plans. You were taking the week off before I was taking the week off from work. Wait, what, what week? What, what are you it's taking off? It's always the week between Christmas and New Year. It's always that week. Well, that's the week I took this week. Excellent. <laughs> this year. That, it's not the week that I took this week. It's the week I took this year. Right. I'm carrying forward so many holidays into next year. I'm going to have eight weeks of paid vacation next year. Nice. I won't get to take it. I don't, <sighs> I don't get paid vacation. It's nice. You should try it. Well... If they'd give me a job with paid vacation, then I would try it. This week's joke was wondering if William Shakespeare was patient to be to get his COVID vaccine. <laughs> we were toying with the idea of a Christmas goose. Remember that? Yes. And then you said no, because what if it what if it's what gross? If it's, yeah. You don't want to eat something for the first time on Christmas. Right. And it's hilarious because um, just like. A week, two weeks ago, Mercy Tart tweeted basically the same thing with him and his partner. Right. That, that one of them wanted to try a goose and the other one was like... You don't want to try something on Christmas Day. You don't was, want to try it. I was just excited to find a butcher who had goose. Well, then we get a goose like in February and decide if we like it or not. <laughs> and if we like it, then we can get it it's, for it's, the following Christmas. It's a bird. How bad could it be? Well, there's a very different, very much of a difference between eating like a chicken and eating a pigeon. Pigeons are smaller. <laughs> That's not the only difference. I've never... Anyway, I've, we're I've, getting back to the... I've never met a bird I couldn't eat. That's what she said. <laughs> it was Corey's 60th birthday and it looked like some characters may not be around to celebrate the 61st. <clears throat> Tim's dad. Leanne has decided to run away from her grief and disappear to France for a bit, but a misplaced charger and a flossing preteen contrive to make her change her mind. The Rebel Alliance set up camp outside a brewery to stop the bulldozers of progress making way for a skyscraper, forcing Ken to grab a couple of plastic bags from the co-op and become Weatherfield's tank man. <laughs> Remember that? Uh-huh. Peter's reluctance to trust Carla moves on to overcome this by proposing to her and then scooting off together to the ever-popular... Kefalonia. Daniel is ushered out of every home on the street. Yasmin's house roof is comfortable but slippery. Kev mispronounces Kirkcaldy. DS Fringe believed a Yasmin all along, she says. Uh-huh. Kathy insults a corpse. Our moment of the week was Imran saying no further questions to Tim's dad, and our boring moment of the week was Rita and Audrey's cursory reference to the 60th anniversary. Also, two years ago, Kathy ran over Daniel. <laughs> which I thought was... Worth mentioning. Happy anniversary to Kathy running over Daniel. <laughs> and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Do we you know? have Do we have a, a special celebratory like toy car and and Daniel doll that that we <laughs> are we just you know saving all of our celebratory excitement for for Brick Day? Yeah, Brick Day is this week. It's Brick Day this week. Brick Day's Wednesday. Happy Brick Day. What are you going to be doing on Chesney itself and face with Brick Day? I'm going to be rolling my eyes and shaking my head at you. <laughs> yeah, I have plans. Shall we, dive, <laughs> shall we dive in with their simple plans? <laughs> <laughs> but they are plans nonetheless. <sighs> yet, plans yet that, still up there. 
that they, <laughs> they are plants that took took time and thought and money and shipping to uh, put together, though. Yeah, very little of all. <laughs> yeah, but still. <laughs> it was something that I was. I, I could have been doing something else. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? I suppose that's true for, for anything, everything. Like what we're doing right now. Right. Yes. Let's get let's get it on. Our first storyline this morning is summer loving. Oh God! Do, do we have to start with this? <laughs> yep. On Monday, preparations are underway for the ice ball. Summer thinks snowball would have been a better name, but Amy thinks that's too cliche. Summer has got the inflatable snowman fixed, but it's cagey. But it's cagey when questioned about how she got it home. Right, which, which is weird. Spots. Which is weird that she would be cagey about that because it was just. Somebody giving you a ride home. So why would you be cagey about that? Why are you so weird? You weird, weird child. But she has been weird about it. She is. Which makes me think that she knows that this is not information that she wants to share. So she, she knows that getting a ride home from a teacher is... But if she did share it, then none of this would have happened. Well, maybe. Because because this is what puts the bug in Max's ear to to be filming very carefully for the rest of the day. Well, he's already got the bug in his ear. Right, because he's because he knows, because he, he filmed saw it. it. Yeah. Uh, you know, ice balls are a thing, Summer. If you take a snowball and you dunk it in water, it becomes an ice ball. And then you can really do some damage to your nemesis across the street. <laughs> My dad used to go into uh, Matheson's the Baker's mm-hmm. in St. muir. And would ask for a donut, and women would say, "Do you want a nice one?" And my dad always said, "I hope they're all nice." And then they all laughed. <laughs> remember, remember the winter that it was so cold that you wet down a uh, Michigan State University T-shirt and then went outside for less than a minute and it froze completely. Yeah, and then you tapped it and snow came out. Yes. Anyway, let's move on to the second paragraph of it's my notes. It's 60 degrees today. Later, Max tries to probe Summer for more information about her mysterious method of but getting not home. like that. And then looks on concerned when he overhears her defending Daniel to Amy and Asha, who think he's a dull geek who was punching with Daisy. But not like that. But it is true. Max is filming Amy's introduction to the ice ball. Daniel comes in and uninvited, he rubs Summer's arm when she takes a dizzy turn. That was like mistake number six for him, I think. He tells her to eat something, rubs her arm again, and then wanders off, impressed with the decorations. Summer smiles, and Max has caught most of this on camera. Yeah. Now, Asha is being interviewed for Max's video, and then Daniel turns up again, and in the background, he slips something into Summer's purse. He and Summer chat in the background about her her diabetes. And all of this is, of course, caught on camera. He confirms he'll be in attendance of the ice ball this evening. At home, Max is editing the ice ball video and becomes very concerned when he sees Daniel sneak something secret into Summer's bag. Because when it was getting filmed, Max had just left the camera running and had nipped off for a shite. Yes. And there's a little... uh, joshing between Shona and Max here where Shona mm. thinks that oh Max has got the hots for somewhere yes. up a tree Asha, Summer and Amy go off to fix their faces leaving their stuff unattended and change they're going to change in that classroom that has windows all the way around it and then Max arrives to go through Summer's bag to see what Daniel put there assuming that it's still there of course and what do you know he comes across the handwritten love poetry 
from last week. Uh, and and chucks the the energy bar, which is was hilarious. He chucks it. Yeah, he takes that out, looks at it, and chucks it. Oh, he does. Just like assuming that that couldn't possibly be the thing that <laughs> Daniel put in. I found I found that a nice touch. Right. So the ice ball is banging. But not like that. There's at least six people dancing. And weirdly, there's a kid wearing a parka. <laughs> yeah, I didn't write anything about him. Amy has the hots for the kid in the parka. She thought the ice ball was to celebrate the efforts of Ralph Fiennes, the Arctic explorer. Something like that. It was, Amy, it was quite a niche joke. but yeah. Amy has the hots for this kid. He was essentially Kenny from South Park. She thinks Daniel's a dork. Of course, he's her uncle, so, mm-hmm. you know, that makes sense. But she has the hots for this guy. The Parker guy, the, the Kenny Parker guy. The Parker guy. Amy loves Kenny. <laughs> Don't know why that's so funny. But yeah, it so. is. So, yeah, the deputy, I forget her name, she's circulating the ice ball while Max is getting loaded on vodka. It's always vodka. And it's always neat. Because There's nothing worse than drinking neat vodka. Because vodka's clear and odourless. It's not odourless. It smells of vodka. Yeah, but it, it doesn't smell in your breath. <laughs> I think it does. Max approaches Daniel and accuses him of abusing his position. He has the the confidence that the, the cheap vodka is giving him. Yes. What the actual fuck are you talking about, Daniel asks. Max accuses Daniel of sleeping with Summer and claims what? he has proof, calling Daniel a perv for good measure. So Max storms off. So Daniel goes to speak with Summer about Max's accusations. I don't know why he, I don't know why he does this. No, I don't know. I don't know either because summer just makes things worse. <laughs> Much worse. Yeah, and this isn't the only time she makes things worse. But she, but it's okay for her to make things worse because she's a child. Right. He's the adult here. Right. He's the one who should be addressing this. It was like taking both of them out and saying he is saying this, why is he saying this, you know, exactly. and, and you know, monitoring this. And, and maybe making the deputy head aware of it at this point. Right, yes. <laughs> but, you know, again, Daniel's new to teaching. We've got to remember that. This is... Which means that the lessons that he's learned in teaching should be fresh in his head. Yeah, but some things they don't teach you. Oh, I think they very much warn you about this uh, teacher training. Right, yeah, but there are, there are aspects of it that you kind of can't be taught. All right, so the, the, the lessons that they learn aren't specific to an ice ball. Well, no, I mean... Things to do if a, a female student propositions you at an ice ball probably isn't a lesson that he's learned. Right, and also that's not what happens. No. So Max storms off, so Daniel goes to speak with Summer about Max's accusations. This needs to be nipped in the bud. So Summer goes off to speak with Max, and Daniel allows this to happen. And Summer's speech to Max does little, if anything, to help matters. She tells him to keep his nose out of matters that he can't possibly understand. Ugh. And then calls him a pathetic little boy. Yeah. None um, of that's helping. You know what? This is, this is like... Remember in The Sound of Music? When, when they... When, he talks Ralph into giving him the gun so that they can and so that they can escape and he gives him the gun and they're about ready to to leave and then the captain says to Ralph 
you'll never be one of them. And that's what sparks Ralph to start blowing on the whistle and calling all the other Nazis <laughs> to come and, and catch the Von Trapps, which doesn't happen because the nuns have already sabotaged the Nazis' jeeps. But, you know, still, people just need to stop. This sounds like nun home alone. <laughs> you know, people, people need to stop saying dumb things to adolescent boys. Right. We'll just stop adolescent boys entirely. If we stopped adolescent boys entirely, you wouldn't exist. Uh, no, well, you just skipped that bit. <laughs> At the ice ball, the deputies winding it up as Billy and David show up for some reason. Max to pick is, up their children from the ball. Really? Yeah. Nobody else's parents turn up. Well, I'm sure they do. They're just not important enough to be on, on, on screen. Max is pretty pissed by this point and he hooks Daniel, calls him a pedo for sleeping with someone and then sends his video to everyone at the party. <laughs> his, his practice in trying to hook David seems to have worked. <laughs> Billy seems to be taking the accusation seriously and demands to know what's going on while David is oddly quiet that his son has just assaulted a teacher. The whole party are thrilled at this development and then a bucket of pig's blood falls in Summer's head. <laughs> and that brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Bum, 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 bum. The ice ball turned out to be a bit of a bust with Max's allegations of Daniel's impropriety with Summer gi- giving the evening something of a sour taste. But which movie's influence could have rescued proceedings best? Mean Girls, Back to the Future, Teen Wolf or Carrie? I think I chose Carrie. See, I think I was surprised that Mean Girls didn't score as highly as it did because I think getting the plastics up to do their little Jingle Bell Rock routine would have just lightened everyone's spirits. That that would have worked, yeah. But Pig's Blood would have been funnier. Back to the Future, you'd have had that fucking show off, Marty McFly playing horrible, horrible music. Right, and then somebody attempting to rape your mom in a car. Right, and mm-hmm. then Teen Wolf would have been... Again, Michael J. Fox <laughs> getting incredibly hairy, which I think would have been a distraction. But the voting was thus. Mean Girls got 13.2%. Teen Wolf, 18.4%. I'm so surprised by that. Back to the Future, 21.1%. But Carrie romped home 47.4%. Yes, it's all about those dirty pillows. <laughs> it's official. On Wednesday, Ken and Adam are round seeing Daniel who doesn't think he needs a solicitor. <sighs> Ken and Adam spell out the worst case scenario. You could go to jail for this, but Daniel insists that he's innocent. Meanwhile, Billy has chosen the community garden to chat with Summer to see if she's been pegged off Daniel. She insists it was innocent. Then Paul appears and makes matters worse by jumping off the deep end here. <sighs> Do you remember a time when Paul wasn't angry? No. No. But he was just like a sweet, friendly brother of Gemma mm-hmm. and, and and lover of Billy. He just, I mean, we haven't seen him for ages. Yeah. But what I remember of him was he was very angry. Right, yeah. Yeah, because of the whole Kel stuff. And Todd stuff. Yeah. He was super angry about that. Yes. And he was rightfully angry about those two things, but this one, it's just not. Well, he sees his own past and right, any yes. situations that are similar to this. Right. But maybe ask a few questions yeah. before you... Jump to conclusions. <laughs> right. Ugh. 
Max has been interviewed by the deputy. David thinks that they should be thanking Max for his intervention. Why is David suddenly a super asshole? What do you mean suddenly? <laughs> well, he's, he's always been an asshole, but now he's just been a super asshole. That they should be thanking Max? What? Right, for, for uncovering this, this dirty deed. Done dirt cheap. Max, yeah, Max thinks Daniel has it in for him, but it never bothered him until he started grooming Summer. He admits to seeing Daniel put something in Summer's bag, which is how he found the poem. The deputy's interview with Daniel is intertwined with this, where he admits to knowing Summer outside of school, and he labels Max as a troubled teen. He claims to know the Browning poem by heart and wrote it down to help Summer with her homework, and the thing he put in her bag was an energy bar because of her diabetes. The deputy head thinks that Daniel's actions were ill-judged. Yes. Which is true. Yes. He's done nothing wrong. Right. But he's done lots of things that aren't right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or not 100%. I'm sure right. he's memorised poems that aren't love poems. I know I have. Well, the, 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 the work they were doing was on love poetry. Yeah. But still, I'm, I'm, I'm sure something maybe less Elizabeth Barrett Browning-y Mm-hmm. Or it was like a comparison between the the romantics and and Shakespearean stuff. It wasn't it. That's oh, what he said to the cop later on. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> the deputy is talking to someone now. Paul and Billy are there. She doesn't want Daniel. I mean, Mister Osborne into trouble. Paul accuses Daniel of grooming her, and Billy shushes him. Summer confirms that Why Daniel. Why is Paul there? No, no. <laughs> yeah. he, he and Billy getting back together. And, and this has is just no been happened, you know, behind the scenes. And so that's why he's there. No, they're not what, back together. What? Where's? If it's if it's just Summer's three dads, why is it Todd there as well instead of handing out business cards in the bistro? No idea. <laughs> no, Billy's Paul is there to, to get angrier. <laughs> that's the only reason that he's there. Summer confirms that Daniel was appropriate at all times. Back home, Billy continues to rip Paula strip, saying there's no evidence that Daniel is a pedo, which is strange because Billy was very quick to believe this. Yeah, it was kind of weird how quick he was. He believed this at the ice ball. Paul remembers Daniel's shifty behaviour last week by not letting him into the flat, and Summer would defend Daniel, wouldn't he? Wouldn't she? Billy tells Paul that he's seen what he wants to see, and he says, "How dare you? How? Why would I want to see this?" <laughs> Later, Paul apologises to Summer for his rage and tells her that he'll be moving out of uh, Daniel's flat. She doesn't want to talk about it, but he does. He begs her to be honest. She seems to think that if Daniel wasn't her teacher, they'd have totally been getting it on. Their connection was electric. She fell for him and he felt the same way, she says. Paul calls this textbook grooming and she storms off, so Paul calls the cops. And I have to say that if I'd heard Summer say that, yeah. You'd be calling the cops as well. And and if I had known that, that Daniel had somebody in the flat that he was hiding mm-hmm. at some point, and I didn't know it was Daisy. Right. Yeah. This this would seem like something to call the cops about. But now this whole thing about Daniel and Daisy keeping their relationships, relationship secret... Is even stupider. It's stupider, but now it makes sense why they were doing it. Right. 
still doesn't make sense. No. But now we know why they were doing it. Yes. So the cops arrive at number one and take Daniel down to the station. And at the station, Daniel explains his extended relationship with Summer and how she was a babysitter and how he was helping her uni application. And he gets snarky with the cops until Adam tells him to wind his fucking neck in. The cop doesn't think this is a usual relationship for a teacher to have with a uh, pupil, but Daniel says it's all above board. The cop asks about the poetry and Daniel gets snarky again. Right. I'm only doing my job, says the cop. So am I, says Daniel. Haha, <laughs> bravely. Yes. Brave, brave Daniel. I'm trying to educate this country's youth about Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Yeah. So you left you left your love poetry in a bag. Well, I think Elizabeth Barrett Browning would have something to say about that. Yeah. Just put him in jail now <laughs> and throw away the key. And that, what was it? I was teaching comparisons between blah, 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 blah and William Shakespeare and the cop's yeah. just like, what? And I, don't, I, I guess you don't want them to repeat that, officer. Adam's probably fucking embarrassed by even being there. Yeah. So... At least he has Adam with him this time. Yeah. The cop asks about the woman hiding in his flat and Daniel knows this is Paul's doing. Daniel explains about Daisy and that concludes the questioning. Daniel thinks his life on the street and his career are now officially fucked. A female cop is interviewing someone asking if she was the one hiding in Daniel's flat. Someone is upset to know that there was a woman hiding in Daniel's flat that wasn't her and admits it wasn't her. Back on the street, Daniel shouts at Max for trying to destroy his life. This is a living hell! David has Max's back and we learn that Max has been suspended from school. Then Paul happens along who tells Daniel to stay away from Summer. He's done a number on that poor girl. Yes, he has. And the number is three. There are much, much worse numbers as it could have been. It's a magic number. Oh, I see what you're doing. Mm. Daniel goes home, telling Tracy and Steve that he's finished. Ken is in on this now, and he says, energy bar a lot. He does say energy bar a lot. <laughs> to the point where Tracy has to say, stop saying energy bar. <laughs> but, you know, he's right. He's like, you, you didn't bring snacks for the other kids, mm-hmm. you know. This is this is why this is suspect. Is because you're focusing so much energy on this one student when you have other students, one of whom is your niece. Right. He tells Daniel that by giving Summer preferential treatment, he's made a huge mistake because now it looks like favoritism. Tracy thinks that she needs to have a word with Max and Summer, and she storms oh, off. Tracy. Ken sends Daniel after her, but it's too late because yes. everyone involved in the story is standing out on the street for some reason. Yes, they are. She tells Reverend Liar that she wants him and Oxbridge out of her flat. <laughs> so she's, she's calling she's calling Billy Reverend Liar yes. and she's calling Summer Oxbridge. <laughs> then she calls Paul a conspiracy theorist and reckons he's probably an anti-vaxxer too. <laughs> Paul doubles down and reckons Daniel really is a nonce. Summer tells him that she hates him and runs away. And Daisy is on the other side of the street observing all of this. Yes. Seeing Tracy in full Tracy mode. battle mode. God, I've missed that. <laughs> it's so I have good. missed this, Tracy. It was so good. Ah, oh, she's so good at this and in another storyline where she's equally very, very much Tracy. She doesn't particularly like Daniel. This is the best thing. She doesn't really like him, but... It's family. Right, yeah. So. You can hate your family. You can so despise she, your family. But when somebody else comes after your family, 
You go after the person for attacking your family that you hate. Oh, shut it, Oxbridge. <laughs> that was just superb. So, Daisy tracks a, a sobbing summer down to the community garden. Summer knows that she got it wrong, but Daniel's encouragement meant everything to her. She asks if Daisy was the one hiding in the flat, and Daisy confirms it. Summer promises nothing happened, but wishes that one day it would have done. She, the way that she saw it was after school, the two right. of them would have got together and would have spent the rest of their lives reading love poetry to each other. And the thing <laughs> is, the thing is, that could happen. Oh, that could still happen. That yeah. could totally happen. <laughs> In like 15 years? Five. <laughs> because look at Kevin Abbey. That's about the same age difference there. Daisy stops in to see Daniel, and if he thinks she's there to sympathise, he's in for a shock. She's amazed that he didn't realise that uh, Summer had a crush on him. Laughing at his jokes was the was the first giveaway. Right. <laughs> but it must have been a bit flattering. He blurred the lines by letting her into his private life and bonding with his kid. And Ken thinks Daisy is right. Yes, Daniel has Daisy blurred right. the lines with his good intentions. And Daisy, as, as much as it pains me to say this, Ha-ha. is absolutely spot on here. Yes, and she's very, very good here. And she was also very, very good with Summer. Mm-hmm. You know, she was very gentle with Summer and let, and let Summer talk and stuff when, you know, if Summer had been her age, if she was an actual rival, she would have been very snarky. Daisy would have clawed her eyes out. Yes. Yeah. It was... <clears throat> it's always fun to see Daniel being brought down... Yes. ...by someone who he thinks of as his intellectual... Inferior. Inferior. Yeah. And also being brought down by his dad... Yes. ...whose ideas and notions are way out of date. Right. There's Ken, who has... He's been through this before. He's, right. He assaulted a, a, student. a pupil, lost his job. He's been through this. He knows mm-hmm. how to properly behave. Right. And a lot of these things haven't really changed all that much right. from, from from when he was a teacher. And there's Daisy, who knows how Summer's mind works. Right, yes. And they're both in positions of knowledge that Daniel doesn't have, but thinks he knows everything. Mm-hmm. So it is a total bring them down to earth with a bang sort of thing where he realises now holy shit what what on earth was I thinking mm-hmm. because he was she she basically could come and go she pleased out of his flat right all because of his babysitting right and, and, and helping and helping her with her Oxford thing oh god how many times does she mention how this is going to ruin her chances with Oxford again nine nine times it's like she's it's it's like before where with Max's video she wasn't concerned about the feelings of of Jenny and Carla she was worried about her Oxford application. Yeah. Now she's not all that worried about Daniel. I mean she's a little worried about Daniel and 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 herself, but she's really worried about what's Oxford going to say about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oxford's going to say nothing about this. Well, I'd still maintain that she's not going to Oxford. I don't think that's going to happen. I think she's going to end up going to the version of Weatherfield Community College. Well, it'll be the the University of Manchester, won't it? Well, maybe. Just like Amy, we'll probably be going to the University of Manchester. Yeah, we'll get there. On Friday, Max has been called in front of the deputy head. He has prepared notes, 
which <laughs> David and Shona aren't too pleased about. Billy and Summer pass, and Max asks how she is, and she tears him uh, to pieces for the humiliation. Stay away from me, Once she again, says. making things worse by opening her mouth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, David and Shona have already told Max not to say anything. Yeah, David's face when he starts to talk to her is just a picture. Yeah, it is. At school, David and Shona insist that Max is dead sorry and that, but Max looks nonplussed, and when questioned, he says that he only wishes that he'd hit Daniel harder. So the deputy will make a recommendation that teachers aren't safe with right. Max around, so... No Max. They're going to permanently exclude them, or that's what they're thinking about doing. And Max does not look like he gives a solitary fuck. He really doesn't. Adam drags Daniel out for a drink Daniel's blaming himself for all this mess and as they walk by number 8 David shouts abuse accusing Daniel of getting Max excluded well he did punch a teacher right yes Adam threatens him with legal action bring it on says wee man syndrome David and later Daniel buys Adam a a latte because he's found out that the police have dropped the nonce charges that was over and done with Mm -hmm. pretty quickly Yes. And then Nina rolls. Billy is trying to make Paul feel better about leaping off the deep end mm-hmm. now that Daniel's got off by talking about kids that he's christening called Lilibet. Yeah. This is the fourth one in the week. Right. Apparently there are lots of Lilibets being born. In comes Daniel and Paul apologises. Daniel tells Paul that he did the right thing but is disappointed that Paul thought so badly of him. And they seem to make amends over a slice of cake when Paul points out, you know, he just saw so mm-hmm. many similarities in right. his own upbringing. Right. And that was... That was nice. It was nice to see them mend fences yeah. there for, for Daniel to say, you know, if I were in your position, I probably would have done the same thing. And Paul to say, look, I'm really sorry. It was just, you know, too similar to what I went through yeah. and everything. And, and I went off the deep end and I made assumptions. And he didn't shout. No. Yes. But later. Back to good, good Paul. David is shouting and he's shouting abuse at Daniel on the street, asking if he's off on the pool at the youth centre tonight. That's not funny, says Daniel. That was kind of funny. Even if he's got away with it this time, it's just a matter of time before Daniel is on a register rather than taking one. Shit sticks, says David. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I don't know why David is... Is it a family thing that he's sticking up for Max, even though he knows that Max is a bit of a wrong in these days? I think he's just kind of relieved that... He's got somebody else to yell at besides Max. But it seems to me that uh, David is behaving in a way that he thinks people will expect him to behave. Right. I don't know that he actually feels or thinks any of these things that he's shouting out, but I think that he thinks other people think that's how he should be behaving. And also, you know, I think he's really bothered by the way Max is behaving and the way... Everybody else on the street is kind of like, yeah, well, you were just as bad at your age. You know, the way Kirk He's laughed at him. He's a few reminders of that, yeah. Yeah, the way Kirk laughed at him the other day. I think it's just all of that stuff has been piling up and now he has an outlet for it. You know, because he was already unhappy with Daniel being mean to Max, mm-hmm. you know. And... You know, it it doesn't matter that the other teachers are probably saying the same thing Daniel is. They don't live on the street. That's a good point, though, because when you think back to how the story really started, Max was looking for tuition, or David was looking for tuition for Max. Daniel wasn't interested in doing it at Mm -hmm. all. But the very same episode, I think, or certainly that week, Daniel's given Summer 
private tuition. Right. So really from the start of this, there, there's no part of this storyline where Daniel isn't doing something that's kind of... Icky. Icky and inappropriate with someone. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is the end of Daniel's teaching career? No. No, because the charges have been dropped. <sighs> I think he may have to go teach elsewhere. Right. And that yeah, may that's not, what I'm thinking. And that may not be a bad idea. It was probably not a great idea to be teaching, you know, the the children of the people around you yeah, this, this and is your why niece. Doctors don't aren't doctors in their hometowns and right. all that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Moving on to our next storyline this morning is so fucking disgrace. On Monday, still ignoring the fact that Glory is living with him, Ed and Aggie are with Adam to draft up a custody document. Adam thinks a letter signed by Grace should be sufficient, and he promises to draft one up inside the hour. And sure enough, Aggie has a letter, and Ed has got his hands on 20 grand in cash. Sure. <laughs> For as long as they've been on the street, they've been skint. Right. And they've had cash flow problems and they're buying houses and now they're not making the money out of the house. And Well, I guess now they can make money out of the house because Grace is gone. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if he's getting 20 grand like that. Anyway, Aggie maybe, now maybe decides... He got it, maybe he got it from Ronnie. Aggie now decides to worry what Michael is going to think, but Ed reckons the wording of the letter should clear everything up. And later, Grace has arrived. I was expecting some drama here, but nope. She just signs the letter, pockets yep. the cash, and leaves without saying goodbye to Glory, promising this is the last they'll see of her. She's obviously ill. She is crying. She is sad. There's an illness here. There's a mental illness here that I think we're, well, we're not interested in examining, I think. We knew that from the very start when she was passing somebody else's baby off as hers. Right. Come on. But we're just not investigating it. No, no. No one seems to give a fuck. No. Just make Glory happy, she says. Then Michael comes in and instantly knows that something is wrong. Ed and Aggie explain Gracie's struggles and how she's moved away, leaving the baby with them. Michael can't let her do that, so rushes off to change her mind. And he catches her on the way to the tram station and tries to talk around. But Grace says this is her decision and it's final. She wants a fresh start and Glory is better off without her. But she can't turn around and look at him. For the longest time. No. And again, as she said, she's she's crying as she's uh, she's saying this to him. Back home, Michael doesn't know how this is for the best, as Aggie says, that Glory will grow up knowing that her mother didn't want her. Focus on the now, says Ed. In other words, let's worry about that later. Right, he yeah. He wants Michael to be happy now. Right, yeah. Who knows what the future will bring? Let's Let's not worry about what this wee baby is going to think years down the road. Yeah. On Wednesday in the morning, Gloria has been crying for three seconds and Michael insists it's because she's missing Grace. Which is just ridiculous. He takes her out for a walk, leaving Ed to wonder if they're acting a bit hasty here. Oh, no, you fucking don't, says Aggie, who reminds him of his gung-ho approach in the last few days. This was all his idea. Right. Michael takes Gloria to Nina's roles where he chats with Bernie and it comes out that Aggie was concerned with how Grace was raising his daughter thanks to the whole line about the CCTV thing right. that Michael had no idea of until right. now. Right, yeah. Why they didn't lead with that, it makes no sense to me. She left because she realised that she was a bad mother. She left her alone with the CCTV and went out drinking. So it was either... She leave or we call the cops. Yep. Oh, and she also bought a sofa that she immediately sold to sold to Bernie. 
Yeah. Maybe mention that as well, because that's still pretty fucking low. Anyway. Hmm. That has nothing to do with grace, though. Or glory. No, but it has plenty to do with grace. Hmm. Back home, Michael confronts Ed and Aggie, asking uh, when they were going to tell him about Grace being a shit mum. Aggie doesn't apologise for anything and shows Michael the letter that Grace has signed. Still no mention of the money, though. No. Or the fact that she was blackmailing them with the house. Later, Michael takes Glory to one side to tell her that her mother does love her. Are you sure? asks Glory. Definitely, says Michael. (laughs) Nice one, says Glory, and gives him a thumbs up. And that's as far as we get with that story this week. And then she immediately puts that thumb in her mouth. Because <laughs> she's a baby. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think happened here? Did, did the show just realize that, <laughs> that, that Michael is, is better, you know, that if Grace and Michael aren't getting back together, that Grace is just kind of a, a character that's just run its course and they need to get rid of her so that Michael can find happiness elsewhere yeah I think as soon as Michael knocked back Grace yeah there's no point to that anymore there's the baby right but there's no point having Grace there because what's what's what else is Grace doing well see and that's the thing they could have had Grace doing lots of other things besides neglecting her baby and drinking with Bernie Right. You know, and changing the character at the drop of a hat. Right. Yeah, because she had a job. One assumes somewhere. Right. She had to have a, some sort of education. Some a friend group. Although I think a lot of her friends shunned her when she tried to pass off their baby as 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 hers mm-hmm. and all that weird stuff. Right. But you could have potentially done stuff with this character, and now. You know, just like with the lesbians, we have one less person of colour on the street, you know, that, well, that we, we could have done something with. Well, we did the same with Natasha. Right, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get rid of the mothers. Yeah. Don't know. This is a continuing... Is this is, is Coronation Street run secretly by Disney? <laughs> is, is that what happened here? Has Disney bought ITV... I wouldn't put it past them, but still. Well. Like, this whole getting rid of mothers thing is is just, it's kind of icky at this point. I don't think that we needed to have Michael and uh, Grace together forever. No. But we could have had them together for a a spell and and see what happens. I, I have a feeling that Grace was probably more popular with the audience than some of the Baileys. I think maybe keeping her around was was maybe a, a, a good thing. I and think this means we get no resolution from that whole supermarket racism thing. Right. And no real resolution from the blackmail thing either, other than no. that, that she's left. Right. But, but it still remains secret. Right. Yeah. And there aren't an awful lot of single women on the street, and we've just gotten rid of two of them. <laughs> right. Disney has secretly bought ITV. Pass it on. <laughs> Let's start that rumor. I would have, Michael's not doing anything. And Michael hasn't been doing anything for, for a, a while. For a long time. Let him be in a relationship with, with Grace, who we haven't seen really very much, much of either. either. But having the two of them together, I, I, 
It gave Michael somebody to talk to that's not his parents. Right. And something to do. Because we don't see him at work very often anymore. No. remember, he works at the Knicker factory. He's in one of their massive sales department. Right. Remember when we were hoping that he and Alina were maybe going to get together? And now Alina's gone too. <sighs> Again, there's so few women on the street With now. With child. Yeah. She'll die at some point and Tyrone has to go and pick up the kids. Pick kid. up this baby from <sighs> Romania? Yes. Yes. Moving on then. <laughs> Our next storyline is birthday boy, mummy's boy. On Monday... Fizz comes home for lunch to find Mimi feeling filled with two L's. Mimi is keen to get cracking on Phil's birthday celebrations, but insists on speaking French and suggesting a violinist for the occasion. While stuffing deviled eggs down Phil's throat. <laughs> I'll just go to back him up no end. <laughs> Fizz pretends that she needs to get back to work and rushes out of her own house. At the factory, Fizz is complaining about Mimi to Sally and Beth, and then Mimi, who doesn't work at the factory, appears at the factory. Mimi is surprised it isn't as hideous as she thought it was going to be, and as she passive-aggressively passes comment, she seems to make a friend in Sally due to their shared interests in egg-coloured paint. She's also ordered some party dresses for Fizz and the girls, she says. <sighs> That's why she's going into a place of work. Right, yes, to tell her that she's bought her a party dress. Mm-hmm. And to insult her place of work. For no reason. Right. There's no reason for her to insult the knicker factory. Fizz isn't the only one who works there, and Fizz doesn't own it. I loved how Sally and her seemed to click, though. That right. was great. That was hilarious. <laughs> Back home, when Mimi has arrived with the dresses, they're predictably hideous, especially the one that she gets for Fizz, who is literally speechless. God, that was... You know, because the little girl dresses... I imagine Ruby would like it. We don't mm. get to see Ruby and hers. We only get to see Hope. But that that dress that she put Fizz in is just so not Fizz. No. Hope hates her new dress and wants to kill Mimi. <laughs> Mimi tells her she's wearing it or she's not going to the party. And Hope, Hope says doesn't give a fuck. I'm not going to the party then. Fizz tells Mimi that she's not going to force Hope to go in something that she doesn't like. And when she looks to fill with two L's for backup, he backs up his mum. Then Tyrone bumps into Fizz at the mulled wine stall at the Christmas market. Fizz complains about Mimi and Phil with two L's. The shine has been knocked off him and now she worries that she's rushed into things with him. Tyrone tells her that Phil is a top bloke and he lets slip about the Christmas surprise without going into specifics. Correct. And this is enough to put Phil back in the good books again. Mm-hmm. Fizz and Tyrone retire to the Rovers just as Mimi comes in, passing comment on the pair of them and the state of the Rovers before heading off for a shite. How the fuck do you put up with that, says Tyrone. And then the Fizz gets home and filled with two L's, Spidey senses tell him that something's up. He understands that Mimi can be a bit full on sometimes. Fizz wishes that she could do something special for the girls, pretending that she doesn't know about Phil's plants. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday now, the gloves are off between Fizz and Mimi. This is something's happened between Monday and Wednesday because uh-huh. it's they're just blatantly hate each other, right? Well, Mimi was already pretty blatant. Yeah, she was kind of... It was no, masked. It was a little it, masked. It was not masked. She was insulting everything Fizz loves. Mimi slags off the cooked breakfast that Fizz has made and Fizz mentions Mimi's bingo wings. Mimi has experience of galas, dinners and balls. She's handled her share of them all. <clears throat> and she worries about Fizz being able to cope with Much the responsibility like of the cake delivery. <laughs> and the bistro, the cake people have fucked up the order and it's on its way to the viaduct brasserie. This one's in Leeds. So Tyrone steps up and goes off to pick it up. 
And at the bistro, Mimi bl- blames Fizz when it looks like the cake hasn't arrived, just as Tyrone arrives with the cake. She blames a spill of strawberries on the motorway for the delay. Apparently it caused a bit of a jam. Ha ha! Ha 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 ha! Ho ho ho! Fizz enjoyed that one. Mimi unveils a cake and... It's hideous! Oh my fucking god! <laughs> it's a chihuahua? It has a picture of a... It looked like her teddy. It looked like a chihuahua version of her teddy. It's missing teeth. It's kind of cock-eyed. The dog looks like it's needing to put down. Right? Yes. Apparently, it's a perfect likeness of Phil's neddy, the family dog. Fizz is very appreciative of Tyrone's efforts, and she invites him to the party later. Right. I, th- I think as backup. Yeah. And this is this is when we get to the point where I feel completely justified in thinking that Mimi is a bit of a uh, of a hyacinth bouquet. Yeah. That that she she talks a good game, but she has no taste. Yeah. I mean, we already knew that because of the hideous dresses, but still. I find her to be an amalgam of so many characters. She's Hyacinth's bouquet, definitely. Yeah. She's a bit Penelope Pitstop. She's a bit... Oh, oh, wash, wash your mouth out. She's nothing like Penelope Pitstop. She's a bit Dame Edna Everidge. Okay, well, that there. Yeah. She's a bit... Remember that character out of Friends? The uh, Monica and Phoebe's friend that they cut out? And she comes in with a English accent, and she tries to dance in front of Chandler. Oh yeah, she's a bit her as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. And others. Yes. Mimi has deliberately told Fizz the wrong time, so she turns up a little late at the bistro for the party. No harm done, though. She gives Phil his present. It's a photo of the family. Mimi's present to Phil is the announcement that she's moving to Weatherfield, and Debbie faints. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, Phil is talking about how much he loves the picture when Mimi interrupts because she has to be the centre of attention. Right. Phil's party seems to be Mimi on the mic doing a slideshow for holidays. Fizz can't <laughs> believe this whore bag is going to be living in town. And baby pictures of Phil. Mimi thinks Fizz is a bit of a sob story. So Tyrone proposes a toast to Fizz just to piss off Mimi. Then Tyrone demands a word with Mimi in the kitchen. So in the kitchen, Tyrone tells her not to move to Weatherfield. His loss has been Phil's gain. Mimi thinks Fizz is hardly the catch of the century. Single mother of two with appalling taste and soft furnishings. <gasps> Tyrone points out that everyone was happy until she showed up and he reveals he knows her real name is Beryl because it was on the order for the cake. Yes. Mimi marches off to complain to Phil, but everyone has heard this confrontation because Mimi's Mike is still alive. Oh, pig's tits, says Mimi. And Phil tells his mum to show Fizz respect. Fizz thanks Tyrone for having her back. Back home, Phil with two L's apologises for being a mummy's boy to Fizz. He mistook Mimi's bullying nastiness as just top pants. Right. He's sorry for being such a horrible coward. And Fizz is happy to put it behind him. But it looks like her head has been turned by Tyrone a little bit. A wee bit. On Friday, in the fact that the women are gossiping, Fizz is pleased to announce that Phil's mum has fucked off, so now everything can go back to normal, although she still looks a bit longingly at the mention of Tyrone's name, and mm-hmm. I can't believe that we're missing such an obvious trick here. Mimi and Evelyn in the same scene. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really sad about that. I'm really sad because it, Tyrone does say at one point, we should we should sit grand on her, mm-hmm. 
but but Evelyn is still on vacation. She's been on vacation for a long time. She missed Roy leaving. Remember when I was hoping the two of them would become an item? Well, Roy's Woody. (sighs) Now Roy's Woody's gone as well. I I can't see him becoming. He sold the Woody. That just who? And we're not talking about Roy. And Roy's Woody. (laughs) We have a a spin-off podcast for that. Yes, and what Nancy Reagan did to it. What? Anyway. I, I realised I was about to ask a question I didn't want to know the answer to. So, even with Mimi could have gone two ways though, right? They could have been the best of friends or even could have the eyes darkest out. of nemesis. And I think it would have been funnier if they'd gone. <laughs> Probably would have been. Because Evelyn's had... A nasty word or two to say and think about Fizz, Fizz in the past. But now she loves Fizz. Oh, she Now does. she champions Fizz. Mm-hmm. So, maybe not. It would have been funny either way. I would have loved to have seen it. And I would have loved to have had Evelyn been the one to kind of bring her down a peg or two. Yeah. If, if that was what it was going to play out as. Yeah. Evelyn to the rescue in that situation. Right. But no, it has to be Tyrone because we're kind of moving back into that. Right. There's a big old reset button and it's called Christmas, isn't it? Right. Where, We're getting to the love triangle here. Oh, do we have to move through the love triangle phase? Because Phil's not going to pop a fight. I don't know. Towards the end there, have we? how far are we? We're not done with this yet, are we? No, yet. Yeah, let's, let's get to the end. Of yes, it. let's get to the end Good of it. Good point, Helen. Thank let's do you. That. On Friday. Thank you. In the factory, the women are going... No, I have said that. Yes, you've said that bit. So Fizz comes home to... Uh, find Phil with two else has tidied up the house and is baking for uh, some birthday treats. Yes, because it's Hope's birthday now. Right. Fizz rewards him by telling him to move back to his own place now that his boiler's fixed <laughs> and Phil conceals his disappointment. Yes. So later, Phil's packing. Not like that. Mm-hmm. He wants to cancel the holiday, but Fizz tells him not to. He thinks he's dumped, you see, but Fizz tells him to treat the place like his home. You just can't live here now, fuck off. Mm-hmm. Outside, Tyrone apologises for shouting at Mimi to Phil. He thinks Phil has been dumped too because he's packing up mm-hmm. his car. Phil tells him he can stick up for Fizz so doesn't need Tyrone's help. Right. Then when Phil jumps into his car, Tyrone takes the piss out of Phil for being a terrible mummy's boy, which was quite amusing. Right, yeah. But we we get to see a hint of darkness in Phil. And there was a with, little with the way, with black the way he's, came over his eyes. Right, there. with the way he's talking to Tyrone now. Because remember, he's been quite kind and, and friendly to Tyrone Very but cordial. now yeah. but now he's like look back off my woman well Phil may be uh, a horrendous mother mummy's boy but he was at the party as well and saw Tyrone there was the one that was giving kudos to mm-hmm. Fizz right. Tyrone was the one that took his mother to one side to speak yeah. to her so he's standing there in the middle of his own party right. watching his girlfriend and her ex basically rekindling a relationship here or right. or seeing that Tyrone cares more about this than he does yeah and maybe that's it regardless we we see a darkness in Phil that we hadn't seen before we do and that's intriguing because he can't be he, he can't be just a nice guy yeah he can't be perfect all the time mm-hmm. and I mean we know he's not perfect because he is a mama's boy mm-hmm. yeah Moving on then. Fizz and I have the same taste in men, I guess. <laughs> well, at least my mother has a good grace to be dead. Can't compete with that. 
Our next storyline this morning is... I loved your mother. Yeah. So did I. (laughs) (laughs) Our next storyline this morning is dying to get married. On Monday at the Christmas market, Curtis announces to Steve and Emma that he intends to do the Three Peaks Challenge to make up the Oliver Fund to its £100,000 target. Emma is rightly worried about his heart, but he promises to take it easy in that. And I thought this is going to be something that's like months away. No. But no, he's apparently training for something that's going to happen at the end of the week. Right. <laughs> okay, okay then. Sure. In the bistro, Todd overhears that Curtis has a heart condition and is going to be running a hilly marathon and gets out his measuring tape. Emma is appalled. It's hilarious. Then is it the same chick from the support group that comes in? Yes. Because Emma's been on the phone again and talks her into writing an article for the newsletter. Todd is quick to introduce himself to the support group lady. You deal with terminally ill people, I understand. Here's yes. my card. <laughs> and you know, Monday's Coronation Street, that the best part about it by a mile was that scene with Todd. Yeah. Todd Mo- was. Moment superb. of the week material, I <laughs> it think. Was just superb. Moment of the week, right there. Todd and his business cards. As the way he just casually leans, right, yeah, the gets way his card from his inside pocket. Right, yeah, just the way he does it. I mm. mean, we've been missing Todd, and, and now he's back, heading out business cards, and it's hilarious. He's so much better without Billy. Oh, 100%. Ah, I kind of love him now. I've, I honestly was guffawing. <laughs> so and I can't remember the last time I guffawed at anything. I guffawed at that. At the flat, the support group person is interviewing Curtis about his condition and Emma is seizing the moment. After the interview, Emma decides that she's going to join Curtis in the three-peak challenge too. She's even ordered some matching water bottles. But Curtis, a darkness comes over him a little bit and he demands that he does this on his own. Hmm. On Wednesday, number one, Amy has got her exam results, an A and two Bs, or... It's not actually a results, it's a predicted results. Right, yeah. Which, Tracy can see how her. does that work? They look at your coursework and see it. Because some kids can't do exams. Right. And they, they buckle under the pressure. Yes. And so we have this as a kind of safety net, I think, is, well, you've, you've done well throughout the year, so it's, it still counts for something. Right. It's not all fucked up just because you can't do an exam. Right, yeah. We have a kid like that. Tracy can see her on University Challenge, which Steve then does an impression of Birmingham, Barlow, six, as the answer to whatever imaginary question Steve has been asking. What do you think that question was? But it's two times three <laughs> on University Challenge. And then she and Steve argue over where she gets her brains from. Steve says that she spent all her school days upstairs listening to her tapes, so it didn't come from her. Yes, but she's a Barlow, right. so... She she's just assuming that she she got Ken's brains via osmosis. Yeah, because you're adopted. In the room. As Steve was quick to point out <laughs> that she's adopted. Amy announces that she'll be studying business at UCL. Tracy knows that Steve doesn't know what that is, and he's surprised to learn that it's London. London. <laughs> London. Steve now starts worrying about money, thinking maybe she could use her inheritance or a student loan. And Tracy puts a kibosh on that and tells Steve that Emma's wedding will just have to be reined in a bit. They've given Curtis and Emma enough. And this, I don't think, is the first or last time that Tracy doesn't think that uh, money should be spent on this wedding when Curtis could drop down dead at any minute. No, yeah. And also where she puts one daughter over the other. Right. Even though Steve has spent practically no money on Emma her whole life. Right. 
On Friday, Emma pops into number one to invite everyone to the bistro to say cheerio to Curtis ahead of his Three Peaks challenge because that's going to happen this week. Tracy brings up Amy's uni fees and so Steve runs away to buy milk. And then back at the flat, Curtis's doctor calls him at home to try and talk him into sectioning himself or going to therapy or doing something. When Emma comes home and he pretends it's news of his referral and hangs up, he's been stressing about the cost of all this treatment. Emma tells him about the bistro lunch and Amy's news. So Steve and Tracy are in the bistro waiting for the others to arrive, Tracy not wanting to throw money at potentially dead Curtis's wedding to Emma, just as Emma and Curtis arrive. Tracy makes Steve talk to Emma, who wants five bridesmaids, it turns out. As Amy comes in, she overhears... Including, including Tracy. Yeah, which kind of gives Tracy a little bit of pause. Hmm. Then as Amy comes in, she overhears Steve and Tracy winding the financial support they can offer to Emma, and Amy is not pleased about this. Mm-mm. Emma explains that Curtis wanted a smaller wedding anyway because he doesn't have any friends or family. Tracy calls him a loser. Amy announces that she wants to To go- his face! <laughs> He's sitting right there! She says this stuff to his face. She also says that he could drop dead. But you could drop dead at any minute. So why would why should we spend any money on you? To his face. Amy announces that she wants to go to the University of Manchester now instead. So Emma can still have a great wedding. So talk about the financial situation continues until Amy insists that she'll use her inheritance from Granny Deirdre to pay for the uni and Emma can have her decent wedding with no quiche after all. And yet Steve is, is quite taken with quiche. Mm-hmm, he's in the mood for some quiche now. Yes. And it turns out the Three Peaks Challenge thing is right now and Curtis is getting ready to leave. Amy drops in to visit and it sounds like Emma is moving to something lower key anyway. So that's all kind of resolved itself. Right, yeah. Emma, Steve, Tracy and Amy wave Curtis off at the tram station. Curtis goes on about how good a family he has with him and how much he loves everyone apart from you, Tracy. And Steve <laughs> wipes a solitary tear from his eye. Right, and gives him some sort of mint cake energy bar thing that yeah. Tracy says has too much sugar in it. And then the next we see Curtis is round the back of a dodgy looking pub or something, meeting up with an odd looking character who thinks that he's given a speech or doing something else or right, whatever. Right, yes. Wherever he is... And also he chucks the cake. Wherever he is, there isn't one peak, never mind three. No. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. Are, are we this, meant to know what he's doing? I, I think he's he's giving a talk to some more people with heart conditions or something. In a horrible bit of town? Well, I think he's just waiting for the guy there. I don't... That's not... I don't... I don't know. But this whole thing... Just makes me think that he does not have facetious disorder. He's just a liar. It's it's just the marine biologist all over again. This is just lying. This has nothing to do with a mental illness, I don't think. Even though, you know, there was that part where he's yelling at his doctor saying he doesn't need a psychiatrist, that they just haven't found what's wrong with him. But still, there's a deviousness here because it, that has nothing to do with his illness. Because he could have just as easily said to Emma, oh, I'm giving a talk about about dying and stuff, instead of saying, I'm going to do the Three Peaks Challenge to raise more money for Oliver. Well, where, where, where's, where's, where's this money going to come from? Right. Unless they're going to pay him for doing this thing. Or is this some way to steal money? I, I don't know. And... None of this makes any sense. But then again, it hasn't made sense from the very beginning. They just need to give Emma a happy storyline for once. And nobody is ever going to care about Curtis. I don't give a shit. I've tried and I just just, don't give a shit. He's a wet 
blanket. He's a drip. It was a wet weekend. He's you can wet. have some fun on a wet weekend, though. <laughs> a wet blanket, not so much. Well, not at the start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with what the rules are for Curtis's condition and what rules are are being imposed on on this because does he think he's sick at the moment i think he he does think he's sick but i don't think he does because because why is he why would he lie about doing the three peaks thing and then go and do a talk about about death and dying and, and living with a with an illness and stuff why why would he lie about that? But then why would he go to the the specialist when he if he knows that he's not sick, going to a specialist is going to obviously find nothing wrong with him. Well, that's why he doesn't want Emma to go with him, and why Emma, you know, he, but he, Emma he, was there. And it was it? because if if he hadn't, if Emma hadn't insisted that she go with him, he wouldn't have gone. <sighs> Remember, he didn't want to go to the specialist in the first place. This was all Emma's idea. I think he's just a liar. I think he's just a marine biologist. Which is which is a code for liar. But then what would, why even bother with the support group thing then? I a don't fight club know. thing? I don't know. I don't know. I, none of this makes any sense. And again, it's just... Can't we just have him out for revenge? Can't we just do that? Right. Instead of get a mental illness horribly, horribly wrong, as 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 the show and, in fairness, all shows and all movies have done since time immemorial. Just Joker got it right. No. <laughs> no, it didn't. Joker got that right. No, it's funny. Um. I was I was listening to uh, my favorite movie review podcast, um, Linoleum Knife, yesterday, and um, they kind of felt the same way about Last Night in Soho as we did, that it's it's kind of icky in the way that it presents mental illness. And somebody wrote in to ask them if they could think of any movies that ha- or television shows that had gotten mental illness right. And these two guys who have studied film, who are notable film critics, could not think of a single one except for like one in the 1950s that's horrible and and kind of gets things wrong, you know, and kind of treats people with mental illness badly. But it gets kind of the, the boredom and the fact that very little happens on a daily basis for people with mental illness. I always thought that Jacob's Ladder got it quite right and then it turned out that he was dead. <laughs> Remember when we went to see that that horrible movie with um with what's her name, the blonde that used to be like the it girl and and Marla now it's not. No, <laughs> neither one of us were alive and Marilyn was alive. No, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and uh, and Bradley Cooper. Remember that awful movie about mental illness that they were in? Oh, the one that everybody loved. Why do we hate movies that everyone loves? Well, that we were in and like the other people in the audience were laughing at the people with mental illness at the wrong times, at things that weren't supposed to be funny, that we found horrifying. Yeah. 
Anyway, moving on. Our next storyline. Stop writing storylines about mental illness. Our penultimate storyline is Sarah oversharing. <laughs> on Friday, Sarah is chatting to Adam outside Nina's roles. She's worried about a meeting that she has with a lovely guy called Gavin coming up. Apparently, he's a right ball breaker. Hmm. Sound familiar? <laughs> Turns you mean out, we Gavin next door? Turns out this Gavin character's a bit of a prick. <laughs> Sound familiar? His assistant and Sarah remembering a child called Harry to save the day, though leaving Sarah and the assistant to have... Now, is that his assistant or is that his wife? Well, I don't know. Who is also part of his business? That's the way it kind of sounded to me, the way she talked to him. Yeah, they're close. Yeah, there's a... there's a That's me. <laughs> that's me on the laptop. Leaving Sarah and the assistant to have an inappropriate conversation about Sarah's ovulation cycles. Sarah thinks that she might be knocked up after all because she was feeling a bit sick. This is not an inappropriate conversation. Women have these kinds of conversations all the time. This is how I found out I was pregnant with Steli. With I had a very similar conversation with the secretary at the school I was working at at the time. Where I was like, ah, oh, I've just been feeling so sick. And she's like, ha ha ha, you're probably pregnant. And I'm like, no, of course I'm not. And then I was. Adam, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up to see Sarah. She tells him that she's late with her doodads and he's excited and tells her to do a test. The test, though, is negative. And also Sarah is shit at algebra, but she wants to try properly. So that was the test. Mm-hmm. That was a test joke there. Right, yes. Adam thinks that he's... I forgot that I'd written that. Adam <laughs> thinks that he's been trying his best, but the two of them agree to make more of a conscientious effort. Starting right now, and they go off to get their hole. Right, yes. A joke. A joke that is always, always told in, in storylines like this, isn't it? Where the guy says, well, I've been trying my hardest. It ho, was, ho, 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 ho. It was cute. Don't yeah, get me wrong. It was cute. And I don't know if that it was, was deliberate. It was cliche, but it was cute. Sarah's reaction to it looked, when she starts to laugh, it sounded very natural. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that she can't. I'm not saying. She's an that's actor. Impo- right, it's impossible for her to portray this. But it, there was something about it that just looked... When we're talking about chemistry, right? Right. <laughs> and we've talked chemistry that doesn't work in the past right. quite a lot in this podcast. This is a bit of chemistry that, that I found works. that worked really, really well. Yeah, the t- I really like the two of them. Yeah. And it was really cute, her talking about the app and him like, oh, that's not very romantic. And then it becomes very romantic, you know, when <laughs> when just- Adam makes Emma say ding. And Emma's like, ding? Right. And he's like, all right, we'll see you later. Bye. But that that line, was though, cute. That, that was cute. And I'm going to say that line and that accent works really well. <laughs> I don't know what you've been doing, darling, but I've been trying my best. Just <laughs> superb. Absolutely love it. I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> so is this going to be, I guess, a storyline about... Them getting preggers? Them getting pregnant? Yeah. Although... We haven't had a pregnancy in... Half a year. I'm worrying about who this Gavin character is. And I'm I'm also just generally worried why everyone called Gavin in fiction is, a dick? is, is this guy. Everyone named Gavin in fiction is a dick. The Gavin in Friends? Yeah. He was a dick. He was a dick. Is that it? No, there was another one and I can't remember where he was from. But there was a Gavin who was kind of like, like a a man bun kind of guy in in something. Oh, God, yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. And I can't remember what show it was where there was a man bun Gavin and he was a dick. 
If you know, please write us. <laughs> this will be part of Hindsight Corner next yeah, week. Yeah, let us know of any character called Gavin who... It's not a dick. Who is not a dick. But then also tell us some more who are. Yes. We've got this guy and we've got Gavin from Friends. And we've got the man bun guy and, and we've I, got you. And I never watched Gavin and Stacey, so I can't talk about that. <laughs> no, because because uh, it, would, it would blur your, your love for James Corden too much. Because <laughs> you love James Corden. He's your favourite. Joker got mental health right. <laughs> Our final storyline this not. morning is Curry Wars. I, I was going to call this uh, Tim's mum about the house, but I don't think she actually gets a mention. She does get a mention. Does she get a mention? Of course she does. Because uh, uh, because Yasmin's going to give her money from the insurance. And Tim talks about her, and that's how we find out that this is what puts the idea that maybe it was insurance fraud because Kelly, yeah. Oh well in that case then this is uh, Tim's mom about the house. Yes it is. On Monday the Nazirs are outside speed dial assessing the damage. Sally is passing and is keen to blame Homeless Stew for the fire and Yasmin with no other option is forced to agree. Homeless Stew who's still simmering at the hospital. <laughs> simmering Stew, yeah. Alia fires a look to Zidane. Later Alia and Zidane catch Hashim outside speed dial checking to make sure that the fire is still flammable. He doesn't give a shit about Homeless Stew and reminds everyone that all of this is Zidane's fault for stealing from him and being a shit husband. Yasmin's visiting Homeless Stew in hospital. He's got a bit of a cough still but he's going to be okay. He insists he didn't start the fire. He'd finished up uh, making the curries and he turned everything off. He's absolutely sure of it. And Yasmin, for some reason, gets really angry angry really quickly. Right. She reaches her boiling point with stew. <laughs> the homeless stew. How long have you waiting to say that? <laughs> the homeless Five stew minutes. <laughs> won't tell the truth. She's way too aggressive and seems to be shouting at the ghost of Tim's dad here. Yes, that's absolutely what's happening there. Alia and Zidane are discussing tactics about keeping speed dial when... Debbie comes along and admits to taking the van and hiding it behind the bistro to pay him back about the Christmas market pitch. You fucking idiot, Zidane shouts, and then they go off to see if the money's still there. And money retrieved. And Debbie says, yes, yes, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm very, very sorry. Yeah. Even though she doesn't know about the money. No. She's just sad about the, about it burning down. Yeah. Money retrieved, Zidane thinks that they can pay back Hashim and use the insurance money to fix the restaurant now. Yasmin comes home, still furious with that big fat liar homeless stew. She heads off to bed, leaving Alia to continue to be disgusted with her brother. On Wednesday, the Nazirs are back at Speeddal. It's safe, apparently. Yasmin is grateful no one was killed, but takes the blame for homeless Stew and wishes that he'd owned up to his part in it. Asha throws more daggers at Zidane. Meanwhile, homeless Stew's explaining his side of things to Kelly the Chin, who's visiting them in hospital. Right. She knows how he feels and wonders if Yasmin is still in shock. Homeless Stew thinks his homelessness means that no one will listen to him. He thought Yasmin was different. His cough still hasn't got any better. No. At the Christmas it's market, a Bruin. At the Christmas market, <laughs> Alia and Dan discover that Yasmin intends to pay off Tim's mum with the insurance money. A passing Kelly reckons this seems like an insurance job and just blame the homeless guy. Shame on you, Yasmin. Shame on you, she shouts. Right. And people let her do it. People let her yell at Yasmin. Everybody's kind of shocked. Yeah, everyone just sits and listens to her. And then afterwards, people are like, oh, the cheek on her. <laughs> on Friday in the morning Zidane is relieved to learn that the insurance company are still likely to pay out but Yasmin has had a troubled night thanks to Kelly's comments I'm surprised that she knew Kelly's name 
Everybody knows Kelly's name. Who? Because she almost killed Seb. I don't think Yasmin had anything to do with that. Right, but everybody knows. You know the street, the the gossip on the street. I prefer I mean, it. I, I would have preferred to Yasmin say that. That wee blonde lassie with the funny eyebrow. She was shouting at me for some reason, rather than knowing Kelly's name right off the top of her head. It just seemed odd. Well, Tim also calls her Kelly. How does he know her name? Because... Uh, because Faye and Seb were an item. They're and going to have Yasmin having Kelly's phone number next. Kelly's anyway. going to move in with Yasmin. <laughs> and Homeless Stu. Oh. They're going to be a family. And it'll be Homeless Stu about the house. Stu for dinner. Hmm. <laughs> then Yasmin suspects Hashim now has been the one behind the, the fire. Asha and Zidane poo-poo this notion. Don't go about saying anything about Hashim or he'll sue you. Yeah, that's what he'll do. Mm. He'll burn your fucking house down. Yes. I said Hashim choose some more scenery as he nabs it on. Turns out that he wants with, his 50 grand back and he wants insurance money. All of the insurance money. What? What is wrong with you? He's, he's a short, wee old man. Just knock him down. Bop him in the nose. And that was hilarious too, the way he does the whole like car door thing. Like he's some yeah. I I, I should uh, tell the police that you walked into my car or whatever. Right. Yeah. What? Be careful before you dent my car, and and I sue you for that. Jasmine, Alia, and Ryan are talking loudly about the fire insurance outside Speednal when the police come along and drag the Nazirs away to talk about the possibility of arson. Yeah, you're arson about in this story, I'll tell you. Right, but not Zidane because he doesn't have any ownership. But yeah, he's not. And they've already spoken to Tim's mum. Right. Yeah. She's off the hook. Yeah. Alia is interviewed first and the cops are interested in the financials and ask to have a look at the books. And Alia is released and Zidane is waiting outside. They hope Yasmin can keep her mouth shut about Hashim, but someone has definitely grasped him up. Zidane's bright idea is to literally burn the books. Inside, Yasmin is fielding questions about the debt Tim's dad left her with. Yasmin explains... Which is ridiculous because the books are on a computer. Yasmin explains that she paid those debts off. The copper asks Yasmin to talk about her movements, so Yasmin tells him that she did two shits and four and a half peas. Her movements. Okay, moving on then. At home, Alia's panicking, and then Hashim turns up for no good reason, threatens everyone a bit because of the police showing up earlier, and as he's shouting, he clutches his chest and collapses. I laughed so hard when this happened. Yep. I laughed so hard. Comedy heart attack, Claxon. Oh. <laughs> it was like um, Sanford and Son. Like every time I'm coming home, Wheezy. It was just. It was so fun. I feel bad. I do because because of what happens next. But in the moment, I laughed so hard. Yeah, it was, it was hilarious. Call an ambulance, says Dan. Do the chest thing. He wants Alia to rub her tits into Hashim's face? No, no. CPR. Oh, okay. Call an ambulance. The C in CPR is for chest. I always thought it was... No. (laughs) Let's not. Let's not go there. Call an ambulance, says Iran. Well, says Alia. Then Ryan comes in and quickly performs CPR as Alia calls an ambulance and Zidane picks his nose. Very quickly. Let's all remember that this happens on the anniversary of, of Tim's, Tim's dad's, dad's death. death. Yep. 
that they kill another old man. Right. A bad old man. Makes a change for my mother. <laughs> but Ryan is doing... Come on, we're losing it here. So Ryan... <laughs> Right, is doing the CPR, but it's no good. Hashim is dead. The cholesterol from eating all that scenery has finally caught and, up with him. And and uh, and Ryan is having flashbacks of that Cormac. Of, that, of Cormac who died in front of him of a drug overdose that uh-huh. he tried to do CPR on, and then he died. Yeah, you're pretty you're shit at the CPR. Shit CPR there, Ryan. But so, at least he tried to do something. So they leave Hashim lying there with his eyes still open and nobody thinks to cover his face or anything. No. Ryan thinks that they'll be haunted by their inaction. Alia reminds everyone that a year ago they were standing over Tim's dad's body. She's done with rescuing toxic men. This prompts Sedan to decide to own up until Ryan points out that this still implicates the rest of the family. Right. And him. Yeah. Alia, for some reason, puts the TV remote in Hashim's dead hands and suggests staging a robbery. So that seems to be the plan, and Alia throws the speed dial keys into the trunk of Hashim's car. This is the worst idea break, ever. And they break down the back door yeah. to make it look like he broke in. Hooft. It's like just the worst idea thought of at the spur of the moment. Where right, we yeah. actually did see Alia on her hands and knees putting the keys into Hashim's hand to put fingerprints on them. Right, yes. And nobody says, what are you doing? No. <laughs> so the ambulance and the cops show up again, this time looking for Alia and Zidane. Meanwhile, Yasmin is still in the interview room, minus a copper, <laughs> right. because he's the one that's off speaking to Alia and Zidane. Right. Do they have a employee shortage over there or something? Right. Where's, uh, where's, where's Craig? Where's Craig, yeah. <laughs> Zidane explains vaguely, like Hashim sounded like he thought Zidane was in speed dial and it sounded like he'd started the fire, but he, he doesn't come out and say it. He just, right. he lets the cops pick up on this, which right. is reasonably clever, I guess. Back home, Zidane is chatting with Alia. He compliments her on her genius plan and he's even impressed at how Ryan held it together. Right. Even Yasmin hasn't aroused any suspicion. We're going to get away with this, he says. But at what cost? demands Alia. She's finding it hard to live with this on her conscience. Right, yes. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. I'm glad that Hashim's dead. Because, <laughs> honest to God, that man was just... <laughs> this show does not know how to write gangsters. They're all shit. Yep. From Rick the Chin on down, they're all shit. Yeah, but at least Rick the Chin had something about him. At least Gay Mick had something about he him. He had a plant that he talked to. <laughs> he stopped beating up Gary to go and get a sandwich. It was, there was bits about him that were really, really... That Ridiculous and stupid. But Hashim... You know, you know when your dog eats something that <laughs> he shouldn't eat and he, he's kind of smacking his lip and he's... What did I just... That's Hashim talking was like that. It was like, what are you doing? And the longer he was in the show, the more it was happening. That, oh, just... The whole door thing. The door thing was terrible. A few weeks ago when they walked into the camera, that was... <laughs> that was ridiculous. But you're right, he's supposed to be imposing some kind of threat over Zidane and the situation by being small and fragile looking. Right, yeah. At least his sons were, like, big and could beat people up. Right. Why not bring your sons with you everywhere? Why not have some goons with you? At least Harvey almost always had goons with him, except for that one time. Yeah. And that's why, you know, that's that's why uh, 
Jane Danson was able to knock him out with a car because he didn't have his goons with him to protect him. Yeah, or remind him to put his seatbelt on. Right. Ay, 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 ay. So, so the, how does this all land then? We have the 50 grand that was in the van Zidane still has. Right. But presumably somebody in the family knows that... Well, nobody else in the family knows that the van wasn't stolen. Right. So is this a free and 50 also, grand that he's got? And also, nobody's going to come sniffing around because they don't want to be accused of been involved being in the involved whole, in all which of I can this, kind of believe. Which, yeah. So is this fifty grand? The fifty grand. The sons are probably relieved he's dead. <laughs> he's finally got rid of the old guy. Right. They're like Prince Charles. <laughs> will be eventually. But this fifty grand. This is a replacement of the fifty grand that Alia lost a couple of months ago before no, Sudan came back. No, this is 50 back. grand that ha- uh, Hashim brought yes, I to know that, Launder. But, yes, but this replaces the 50 grand that Alia lost. But Sudan already replaced that with money he stole from Hashim, which he's already laundered. <laughs> so it's just the same 50 grand moving uh, from account could, to account. Can we think of a different number than 50 grand? Oh, please. So that... So they're going to have to pay, still pay, pay Tim's mum... Out of this 50 grand, because they're not getting the insurance money. You don't think they're getting the insurance money? Why not? Because the cops are suspicious. Yeah, but they don't suspect uh, the Nazirs, they suspect Hashim now. Hmm. That one cop does not believe Zidane's story at all. Doesn't matter. I think the insurance is going to pay out. So that, that pays off Tim's mum. So we finally. But none of this is going to happen because Alia is going to spill. You think so? Well, that's what she's basically saying. Yeah, last week she said at the end of Friday. You've waited to see her on the start of Monday. Hmm. We'll see. Because to maintain this position, how differently did she behave when she was out? When she was inside the house right. with uh, Hashim's body on right. the floor, and then she immediately goes out and starts talking to to people as if everything's fine. Yeah. And she does that, basically turning on the sixpence. Or a dime, if you prefer. Jasmine doesn't know anything about it. Poor Jasmine. Because every time something like this happens that she's completely unaware of, they make her say something that just sounds like so dumb, considering everything we all know. Right. Like the fact that she was like, oh, well, the insurance is going to pay out, so I've already promised Tim's mum her money. And everybody else is like, no! Yeah, that's not how people do things. I don't have this money yet, so I'm not going to promise it to anybody. Right, but that's not how Yasmin works. <laughs> Apparently not. Mm. I hope she goes and apologises to Stu. Yeah, he's in hospital still similar away about that. Right, yeah. Hopefully it doesn't, you know, stir the pot. Right. Yeah, there's a... We wouldn't there's a want... Me- there's a meaty conversation to be had yeah, at some point in the future. Want, we wouldn't want to, the the stew to boil over right such a stock character (laughs) okay I think we're done for this week (laughs) let's save some stew puns for next week shall we okay so that was the week that was what was your moment of the week (laughs) Todd's business cards Todd's and his business cards Todd's business cards (laughs) it's the moment of the week it was so funny 
Do you know why? Do you know why it was so funny? And it was so well done, and his timing was impeccable. You know, and he was so deadpan about it. That just made it funnier. I just loved the kind of layering of it and how my expectations of something happening were gradually built. Because you have the conversation with with Curtis and Emma and the support group chick. And then you see Todd just sitting in the corner minding his own business. And you think, oh, Todd's... Todd's there. Todd's in the show this week. And then you remember, oh, Todd's an undertaker. Mm -hmm. And then you remember... Curtis is supposedly terminally ill. Yes. And then you, you you find the connection to that just as Todd delivers his lines. I thought it was perfectly Brilliant. done. Brilliant. It was really, really good. Yes. So that is our moment of the week. Uh-huh. And our boring moment of the week then. Hmm. Is it Michael talking to Glory? About how much her mother really loves her? Uh, it could be. Is it? Is it? Is it Daniel trying to explain Shakespearean sonnets to the cop? <laughs> that was hilarious. It was funny. Is it? Chesney wasn't in it this week, so I can't say it. I can't make it Chesney. Is Dick. it Summer constantly thinking that everything that happens is going to affect her Oxford application? Yes, that's it. There we go. Summer in Oxford. You've walked right into this one, Summer, and you've been like this for a couple of weeks and you've yeah. dodged it, but yeah, we're, it's we're, coming home to roost. We're that done with our... you in Oxford. Boring moment of the week. Tracy calling her Oxbridge, though. That was hilarious. Superb. So good. I, I wanted was, something uh, better than Reverend Liar. It was still funny, yeah, though. It was still funny, but there, there's a better line there somewhere. Hmm. But Oxbridge was funny and uh, anti-vaxxer yeah. was, was funny as well. Right, yes. Oh god! See, that's a that see, could have been, been a moment of the that's week. That's a close runner-up for moment of the week. Yeah, and and in actual fact, it probably should have been because we've it's the first we've seen of the real Tracy for such a long time. Yeah. But anyway, I've hit the button. There's right. no there's no going there's back. There's no now. going back. We're there's giving no it to back. Todd. We, right. we we don't really give it to Todd very often. That's what she said. And not like that. So, <laughs> shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. If you've ever handed out a business card. To terminally ill man. Shame on you. <laughs> Seek solace at us. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to Kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of Vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Please. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week with more. I'll talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.